Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Outtakes. I'm Lori Baker. Today's guest is Teo Penglis, who currently plays Andre Demira on Days of Our Lives. Andre's storyline in the show has really been heating up as he is seeking revenge against Hope for killing his father, Sethno Demira. Teo will be talking about Days of Our Lives as well as his two about his two books. The first book is Places, The Journey of My Days, My Lives, which talks about Teo's journeys all over the world, as well as covering his journeys as an actor. And the second book is Seducing Celebrities, One Meal at a Time, which is a cookbook where Teo relates his different experiences with many celebrities who have crossed his path, as well as giving us recipes for the meals he has made or would make for them. All the other times that you've been on Days, you've played when you've played Andre, it's always been with Tony Demira, also as a character and playing double roles, or it's been as Andre, but everyone in Salem, everyone thinks he really is Tony DeMira. This is the first time you've ever been on the show playing Andre, Justice Andre, and then add to that the twist that uh, you're the biological son of Stefano. And I was just wondering, are you approaching the role differently this when it's written this way as opposed to the other times? That's a good question. Um, you know, because you have different writers, and also each time I've gone back, there's a different kind of maturity, different experiences that have added to the previous ones, things that, you know, your foundation becomes a lot more solid. So the gravitas you have in your language, especially since I've been writing, has allowed me to... to as one of the writers said to me something about being poetic in the way certain phrasings that Andre does um, and how does that come about? You know, um, it's like anything. You choose a way, and if it works, you keep going. I mean, I'm not, there's a lot of haters out there of the character. But I suppose that's what happens when you enjoy being bad. But, you know, <laughs> just a kind of wisdom uh, that comes with it. And, um, you know, because if this material was given to me, you know, 10, 20 years ago, it probably would have been differently. Um, it really has to do with, you know, what kind of, um, what have you filled yourself with? What's your spirit about at this stage? And how do you insert that into the character you're playing? So, yeah, I think it's to you, long-winded answer to your question. Yeah, I think. I think it's different this time because I, you know, when they said to me, Tony's dead when I had the meeting. Tony's dead. He got a spike through his heart, and he's dead. And, you know, it never occurred to me, like when I look at that character and see the difference in this, it's a big difference because in the way I feel when I'm playing him. So it's it's a different rhythm, and I really think a lot of it has to do with the, of, of writing because I think when you start writing, using words that become yours when you're expressing something, that kind of weight 
cannot help but make you understand language better so that when you play it, there's a different weight to it, you know. Yeah. You know, it's funny because, you know, thinking about, you know, people that are hating Andre, but when you really think about it, the times you've been on the show, you've played Andre longer than you've ever played Tony. Because so many years, Andre was really, you know, everyone thought he was Tony, but he was really Andre. So Andre's actually been the character with more longevity. It's just nobody realized it at the time. <laughs> I thought that was... I found the years of James Riley's episodes of Andre was kind of bordering on cartoonish. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was it was big and the production was big, you know, they had money to spend. Now it's becoming a little more economical, so it's about the writing and the actors and um but I just find it interesting. I don't usually read other people's opinions, but it's it's so interesting to to see how the character affects people. Um, you know, I suppose if they weren't mentioning you, that that you know they wouldn't say much. But boy, there's just some out there. And I was saying to myself as I was reading, I thought, my God, these people are. You know, I, I may be playing a role. I know who I am as a person. I don't knock things down. Or, uh, you know, I like to build up, but just how many people want to come into the attack? And I'm thinking, my God, I'm acting the part. They're playing. They're the real deal. <laughs> and I, yeah. how, do they, how do they live with themselves? And I'm going. I'm only, I'm only. This is what I get paid for to do. So when they do that, I just go, wow. And there's so many unhappy people out there. You know, yeah. they just. You're doing and your job get, well. You're 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 playing, you know, a villain. If you're if they're playing a villainous character and they're living to hate you, which is why they say it. But sometimes I think some of the soap fans don't realize they're actors. You know, they're you're not the talking to the character. You're talking to the actor, and they they confuse it sometimes. I think so. You know, you've got right now Andre's storyline is uh, really uh, in the forefront with uh, having discovered Stefano's body and. Uh, in in the warehouse and then the warehouse uh being uh you know uh destroyed and him caught in it and now his face is messed up and he's trying to get revenge and hope and I as I understand it there's gonna be major revenge coming this week. Uh how's the I mean, for one thing, how has it been with the makeup? Have you had to spend a lot of time in makeup with getting Andre's face on the way it is now? Well, you know, I I'm very friendly with Lauren Coslo and her husband mm-hmm. Nikki does the makeup. Oh, and okay. He's, uh, he's a uh, he's great. He's great too. You know, it's a, I mean, most it's a lot of perseverance because things are done in layers, and you know, you get one part of your face done, and then you've got to go and do another. So after five months, I started going. Oh, I could use that forty-five minutes that it takes now. Before it was taking longer, but the scars getting less and less. I, I could be studying my work, you know, try to study all that, or doing something else and just sitting while somebody creates this. And But because he's wonderful and we have laughs and all that, I don't mind it. But, yeah, I think the writers like the the, the, the scar, you know. I wanted, I wanted it to be cut differently the way that it was done, ended up being, you know, it was like slices. I wanted a scar from my cheekbone down, near, down, uh, down the middle of the cheek where the mouth is, uh, but not touching the mouth because then, then you could see it. 
but that's what I wanted. I wanted to be able to. It's the, I had a friend who had a car accident and had the worst scar, but it was the face looked great and it was lethal. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, but well, you, know, you look very Phantom of the opera with uh, especially the scenes where you're wearing the hat. You've got the hat and you've got the thing covering your face, <laughs> and you're and uh, staring into hopes, you know, staring at hope. Uh, with with revenge, you know. I, I love the way that looks, the look of all that. Did you like the hat? I do like the hat. I think the hat, it's just, it adds a whole different uh, feeling to Andre, you know, with, with everything that's happened. And, you know, as people have been saying, other stuff people have been saying is it's, you're getting a sense of him becoming the next phoenix, rising from the ashes, and he's taking up where Stefano left off. And you're seeing some of that as well, I think. Yes. Um, I always go to the Godfather because of the way they sat. If you notice those men, they sat very still. They didn't have to make too many mannerisms, but when they did, it was economical. So I always liked their their um, centeredness. So, mm-hmm. And that depends on the chair you sit in, you know. Mhm. So, so um, I know you can't really say what's going to happen, you know, with Andre. But where, you know, if what would you like to see happen with Andre? I, I'd like to do things like because of, of what I think his intelligence is, that I would like to be able to maybe get into a spy situation of where I actually help the other side without them knowing or ever finding out. It's just my own satisfaction. You know, it's it's like, you know, a dark man, you know, where he goes around and he does do some good things. It's not always going to be shadowed. Um, although I do like, you know, I think about the clown and how much I enjoyed that. Um, not while I was doing it, because I, I got scared in the beginning of that, because um, I thought, oh, how do you do a clown? And even though I've seen clowns in movies, uh, I... You know, once I put it on, it's like I've, nobody really knew who it was when I walked into the to the on the stage. All the they all looked at me, saying, "Who the hell is this?" And so it was the first time. I mean, there's something about being able to. It's almost like you're invisible to a point, and so you get a certain freedom that comes out of it. And you know, I start doing turns and spins and dances. I mean, things. And I don't know. And I thought. It's because no one's gonna. I'm not gonna get embarrassed because I'm hiding behind a clown. Mm-hmm. So that was a new one. And then I thought, oh, I wouldn't mind. I wish they'd bring the clown back. But then who would I disturb? <laughs> well, it was fun. <laughs> you know, Andre was always. Uh, I, you know, I've been watching like some of the old '80s episodes before you returned to Days this last time, and seeing Andre on stage, you know, disguised uh, as uh, um, Othello and King Lear, and you know, playing Shakespearean roles and unhappy where he was. But uh, you know, it was fun to see him in all the different disguises. You know, it'd be, it might be fun to see if they ever bring Andre around, bring the actor out in him again. You know, where he's where he's putting on the different disguises to get whatever he wants. Or maybe when it's you know a Brady uh, party of celebration with kids and everything, and Andre, they don't realize, but Andre is hired as the clown. Yeah, that would be fun. 
also, um, also, you know, a lot of attention in the press with, um, you know, Joseph Moscolo having gone as Stefano. Uh, could you ch- tell us a little bit about what it was like uh, with the last days of working with Joseph Moscolo since you guys had such a long working relationship together? I'll tell you what I missed was the amount of dialogue that he and I used to share, um, be it in comfort or be it antagonistic, um, that this time around it wasn't like that. I had to find a way of getting in, and when I did, it was more the feeling of releasing, saying goodbye, really. He was a very proud man. And were accomplished in other areas. Joe was a very talented man. and But, you know, how do you play somebody like Stefano? You have to have an enormous ego. And um, But Joe was able to fill that. It wasn't as if you were, that inside was something vacuous. You know, Joe, with the size ego he had for that character, uh, he was more bombastic, say, than Marlon Brando was in The Godfather. But still, Joe, you know, created his own. And so that's a big man to follow. The only thing that's good about it is that I originally started that. I was the first Demera, and Joe came in six months later. So so I kept coming back all these times, and Joe most of the time stayed. So we both came from him, but, you know, it was coming back to to the end and a new beginning, I think. And so you have a new writer who's seeing things, and we see where all, all of it goes. But um, I miss that Joe and I didn't have, especially when I've seen those early scenes between us and how strong they were. And I thought, God, even in those days, you know, and don't forget, we had, it's hard to learn all that dialogue and, and make it worth something and not just think of the dialogue that you have to say because you want to get involved and... Joe and I always were able to see the thing was Joe was always always passed the ball back to me and I would pass it back to him and that's why there was that rivalry, that excitement. Um, you don't always get that from other actors. Some people just catch the ball and they don't pass it back. And, um, you know, there are those players in every in every company. Sure. Well, you know, you've also been teamed up uh, in a lot of scenes with Billy Flynn and Kate Manzi, some of the younger actors. For you, when you first came onto soaps, either as General Hospital or those early years of days, was there someone around uh, that sort of showed you the ropes, was sort of a mentor to you with how to work on a soap? I have to say, it really was Gloria Monti at General Hospital. Uh-huh. because she allowed me to fail. She took me aside when I never in my life had learned that many lines, and she said to me, darling, she said, you know exactly what you're doing. It's okay. It's okay, she would say to me. And she was tough as nails than other people, but she was very kind. And she told me I had to get out of daytime, go to the better place, bigger place. She was very honest. But then she'd come to another actor and she'd say, you see you see this pencil? If I break this pencil at your name, that's it for you. And the actor would start mm-hmm. behaving. So that's how the kind of power she had. But um, that's where I think the source of it. So, you know, it's been a busy time uh, for days with your returning and it being the 50th anniversary. 
Uh, and one of the big events that happened last year in November was the big Days Book Tour, the Days of Our Lives Book Tour that, you know, went to New York and Pigeon Forge and Texas and and uh, so many different places. How was that experience for you being on that book tour? You know, I realized how much I loved people. Just to see that many people come in that cold weather and, and stand in those lines that went on forever, and just to come and say hello to a group of actors that they'd been following. And New York was my first, because I was, had been in that storm in Mexico, that hurricane, and uh, I was delayed by three days. So I joined them in New York, and uh, I was just such lovely people, happy to see you, you know. Um, it really was, and, and I like the cast, you know, that I was with, traveling, and we were with the writer. Um, no, it was lovely. And, you know, the Pigeon Forge one was extraordinary. I had never seen, to see that many people come out at night, uh, and wait till the morning, and others that got there early morning. And I mean, ten thousand people, eleven thousand. Yeah, that was I, amazing. I mean, they were doing news stories about all the people that showed up to the to Pigeon Forge. Yes, well, it was you know, and suddenly I, I realized that a lot of those people weren't going to be allowed to come in because we wouldn't have had the time. So mm-hmm. I. I suggested that I should go out for a walk and say hello to people because it would, for those who would at least give them something for their weight and for being, you know, um, devoted to the to the show. And so it was amazing what it did. I mean, I just came out and as some of the other actors who had the same experience, um, just to see that people. You know, they were looking at you like, you know, you just came off the television, but it's the kindness in which they treated us, you know. Everybody was so sweet, and and the country was beautiful, and it was, you know, the leaves had turned. I mean, it was just, uh, you know, you'd think about that journey. We did everything in a week, and um, it just was, and and in Dallas, you know, it was great. New Jersey was great. They're all great. And it kind of brought us together, the actors. I kind of liked that. And, um, so in many ways, it was a way of you getting to know and more parts of America and others believing that, you know, you know, they always like you when you're a nice person. Nobody wants to meet someone and say, guess what? He wasn't very nice. You hear that. and mm-hmm. um, But because there are times where people start to forget about your character and think of you as being that person. And those people who have met you will come in, as they have, and say no. Because it's just amazing how strong the opinions of, you know, the show and the story. And, wow, it's just, they only knew how hard the the work is. You know, the writers having to write all that material you know, and how it's uh, edited and then coming to the actor and then performing everything at such a pace that it's amazing that we even have a time to be convincing. I really admire that. And then the great crews, I mean, you know, it's... And so when you hear start to hear comments about stories or putting characters or actors down, they have no idea that people need support. They don't need to be knocked because that doesn't help anybody just reveals how who you are. Right. But there are the kind well, ones and the good and the ones who are encouraging and I love that, you know. Mhm. 
Well, another uh, big part of the 50th anniversary was the huge Days of Our Lives gala, where so cast members from the very beginning of the show all the way to the present day were all together at that big party in Los Angeles. How was that experience for you? You know, those big celebrations, I don't look forward to. And then when I get there, I have a good time. It's just, <laughs> I mean, it's having to go through... It's not like you're going and saying, you know, hello, everybody, you, you know, you, you just sit around. And you're oh, you're on. Mm-hmm. You don't know who's watching because, you know, people put things on social media. So you have to go through all that. You have to look fine. You have to dress and all that. And because we dress so often, you just want to be in your sweats. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> I do wear sweats. You couldn't have worn your sweats. <laughs> No, no. <laughs> Could have given an attitude, though. Oh, yeah, yeah. There you go. Oh, you would have stood out anyway. Um, so moving on, let's talk about, uh, first let's talk about Places, the Journey of My Days, My Lives, the first book you wrote, uh, which uh, came out, what, last year, year, year before last year, I think. Um, yeah. When did you realize, oh, my gosh, I want to really travel and this is what I want to do. I want to, you know, get more money so I can go to Egypt or I can go to Cuba or I can go to Greece. Or, but when did you realize this is what you really love to do, or was it just always something you just knew? Well, no, I, I, you know, when you're that young, you don't, you don't have enough experience, have any objective really. I think it's because Australia was so isolated, uh, a country from so many. And to catch a plane to go anywhere, um, so it always looked like it was something at a distance. And then when I got a free trip to America with the Ballet for Glorica of Mexico, that changed things. I started to see Mexico was the first civilization I saw outside of Australia, and from there I went to America to New York. So all these suddenly, uh, I was thrust into these places, and then I had to land, and I landed in New York, but. I think the choice of all the other countries, because I did so much study for in history of those cultures. So as as things went on, and I was accumulating some monies where I could afford to take a journey, um, you know, I didn't go to a country once. I mean, Greece, I went over 20 times. The same with Italy, Egypt, I've been you know 12 times, no, 11 times, uh, Cuba many times, but Morocco, all the Middle East, Syria. Um, but they're all my education. It wasn't like, you know, I was going on a holiday. Hi, everybody, I'm going another trip again, and I'm going to be sitting my sunglasses on in some wonderful chauffeur car and just pretending I'm enjoying something. It was really about understanding another culture. It was that other side of me that didn't become professional in archaeology is the person that started to spring forth. So when I went to Egypt, I was the country where I, from New York, that I went to the first Middle Eastern country. Oh, my God, I just was... I tell you, I just, uh, I started to, there was something about Egypt to me, and I, it wasn't until my sister told me that, well, you know, the reason why you feel so connected to Egypt is because our great-grandparents um, came from Alexandria. Um, you know, anyway, so that's, I think those journeys, and then, you know, you have those experiences, and sometimes you think, wow, I'm glad I did, I can write or talk about them, you know, because, you know, my brother, I say to him, so how was it? How, how was Italy? Did you enjoy yourself? He says, if I see one more effing church, I'm going to scream. I said, George, 
what about your trip? Didn't you like, like, I was fine. Yeah, we had some nice restaurants. See, when you learn about a culture and you go over, and you probably know more than the people who are guiding you, I mean, really learn about that culture, it makes a difference. And then you start experiencing the other things. You know, you just don't want to start looking for the have the foundation already there, and there you can spring off that and go to these places, and you can ask questions because you understand more than the average person. So it's discovering. That's the thing about it. It's the unknown and discovering that I enjoy so much about those journeys, and no matter which way or how they came about, they're still serving a purpose. How was the experience of writing that book for you? Well, it took you to something about taking it out of your head and putting it down on paper, because that then creates an action. Whereas the other just stays in your head, and that's what happens with people. Things just stay in their heads. And then we wonder after they've gone, well, what did that mean? Well, why didn't we ask? So by writing these journeys, at least my family has a history of some part of the family having explored things and how and what they discovered. I know several times that you've talked about um, how when you go away from acting, you know, and you and you go in your travels around your journeys around the world, uh, that it feeds you and it sort of feeds you creatively, which you can put that into your work. How does how, could you explain that a little bit for us? How does that work? Even though it, we may not come across a story about something it is we know, um, traveling brings a certain confidence I feel within you, and I think. Because it feeds me when I have finished a journey and I come back home and I have an objective of what I've been through, uh, I come back full. And that's what I put into the role I'm playing. It's the energy. It's the way you feel about something. It's the fact that you conquered something, overcame something, uh, got emotionally in touch with something. All those are the elements that you eventually interpret painter will put that on a canvas. A dancer will express themselves through an idea of action that they will do in dance while an actor takes from life. And to me, what serves me is, uh, and which then resonates, because you want it to resonate, because you don't want to just keep it within yourself. You know, it's like listening to Trump. I keep bringing up Trump, the poor man. I keep on bringing him up. He talks about things, but talks about nothing. There's no substance. It's just either putting people down or talking about things, but there's no gravitas. You can't go in and say, oh, what does he think about this foreign policy? So that's what happens. You have to fill yourself up. It's not about money and it's not about greed. You fill yourself up with knowledge, behavior, by understanding another culture. All those things are the things that we as actors put on our canvas, and that's what we interpret. Well, you had mentioned earlier about, you know, being stuck in that really scary uh, hurricane in Mexico. Did you take anything away from that experience in terms of, like, uh, being more prepared when you go away somewhere? Was there something you learned from that experience that you would keep in mind the next time you travel or anything like that? Well, I've been in four hurricanes. The most dangerous one was the one in Hawaii. I fell into a hole. I almost drowned. Um, Yeah, the ground opened up and I fell into it straight in. And it was so narrow, they had to 
pull me out, but the winds were humongous. You couldn't even turn a corner. Um, they all vary. I mean, when I was in Cuba twice, hurricanes, the water, the sea coming into the land and making things. I mean, you know, when Cuba runs out of things, they run out of things. There's nobody around to help them. So, um, but, no, you know, you you can't plan those things. Uh, things that you do plan is you, you, you see, does this country have a lot of mosquitoes? What kind of injections you may need? Uh, one of the things that's good to take, like Vaseline I always travel with because... Uh, that always helps any kind of uh, infection getting worse. You know, I cover it. If I, or sometimes you can get an athlete's foot, you know, in your toes, and I put that in there because of the moisture. So I'll put that in there. But things you learn is, you know, you take also food that in case you can't get food, like when the hurricane hit and I ended up with a can of sardines, I had to, um, I would have brought things, food bars and things like that, so I wouldn't worry about, you know, being hungry. Well, of all the places you have been to, which which would you recommend for a friend to visit? Well, it's also the times, isn't it? Um, yeah. I would have, you know, go to Israel for Christmas. Um, if you're a Christian, whatever religion you are, um, it's just very festive and... Um, and then spend the next week at Christmas Eve in Petra in Jordan and go through the Sikh to the to um, all those wonderful ruins in um, of the Nabataean society and uh, civilization. And, um, but you can't do that now. So I would say you know you have to look at the safer countries because Americans are not popular. Um, you get bad PR when you're uh, powerful. You know, right. look at Russia. You know, look mm-hmm. at Russia. Anyway, um, so I would say Italy. Love Italy if you've not been. And it depends on what you like. There's everything there, you know. Great mm-hmm. uh, food, great culture. I mean, in Rome, you just walk around and it's, everything's art. Uh, the clothing, you know, the concerts, the the ruins the history of Rome and you know I, I remember going getting a car at 7 o'clock in the morning picking me up to go to Azizi because I wanted to find where that little church of St. Francis was where he started his religion and uh, and go and so it was a three hour drive so we 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 stopped halfway and they're making fresh bread and and cut prosciutto and espresso coffee and and we're going in style. It was absolutely fantastic. And then I, I discovered the church by mistake because it happened to be inside another church. And that's how I discovered it. But, oh, my God, to go to Azizi and see those, see the ruins and the story of St. Francis, so I find extraordinary. And then um, there's going to Pompeii and going down to Naples and um, Herculaneum, you know, where the, the volcano hit. And... You know, taking that drive, I mean, that drive down there is just phenomenal. Um, yeah, and then Greece, you know, you don't have to stay in Athens because Athens is not everybody's um, cup of tea. Um, they go to the islands, but the islands, are, I mean, everybody goes to Mykonos and all that because they want to play and have fun. But uh, after a 
while, you know, it gets too noisy for me. I love Santorini because you have it all. And boy, there's nothing like to go walk down these steps all the way down to the volcano, to the mouth down there. And you sit in the cafe and George brings you a big basket of newly caught seafood and you pick what you want and he grills everything and brings it to your table while the sea is splashing up and you can feel the breeze and the, you can feel some of the mist and, and you're having all this incredible grilled food, grilled fish that just come out of the sea and your wine and your bread and your butter and, and good conversation and pretty things to look at. Yeah. Well, I love all of your pictures of Santorini. That's already on my wish list of somewhere to go someday. <laughs> it's a oh, beautiful isn't it? picture. There's a place called Thera that's in the middle of the it's a horseshoe, you know. In ancient times in the fifteen hundreds it was called Strongili, which means round. And two thirds of that island went under because of the volcanic eruption. That's why it's the horseshoe, the shape of the horseshoe. So on one side, um, you've got Agritheory, which is where they found covered, that had been covered by the, by the ash. They found part of the ancient city of Santorini. And then you go in the middle of it, you go to Thera, and you've got all those houses built on the cliff face there. And straight across from there is the volcano, which is still alive. And uh, and then you go to the whole other end to a place called Ia. And at 10 o'clock you sit there and you look at that sunset at 10. It's pink. You have a bottle of wine with you. You just sit out there. and It's just fantastic. Oh, well, it sounds great. I'd love to do that. So moving on to um, your second book, Seducing Celebrities One Meal at a Time which is about uh, your your experience of uh, creating meals and creating meals for different celebrities that have been at your home or imagining what meals you would make for them if they were to come to your home. How is the experience of writing this book different from writing places? Well, one I wanted to write and the other one was I was told to. Oh. Not to say that I didn't have a choice. But the first one came out um, because of the series I was going to do, and it became the book. And it was putting down all the journeys. Uh, There's many more that I haven't completed. But the cookbook was when my manager said, I'll write a cookbook. I'm going to need a cookbook. I have some ideas. And because of products and foods that I'm involved in. And um, so I did. And I've got to tell you, it was like pulling teeth when I had to think about those recipes and uh, and try to think in my mind, how much did I put in there? That's the biggest frustration is how much of the ingredients you put in each course of, of the meal. Um, and sometimes some people like more salt, less salt, you know. People have their, their whims. And so, you know, my thing was <clears throat> flavor it if you need to. You know, to me, soups, I'll put, you know, I like to put cumin in and, and um, um, uh, what do you call it, uh, curry. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just doing a white bean soup and uh, that I did from a, a small Cornish hen. And I throw the hen out after I've cooked it to death and just taken the broth and then cooked the white beans with mushrooms and um, and kale. It's wonderful. 
How did you come up with the title? Well, I was thinking about life, to be honest with you, about things in life and thinking, oh, that's seductive. That's the word came to me. And I thought, oh, it's like I I fell in love with the word resonate. It just says it. And mm-hmm. seductive says it. And I was thinking about New York and how what a seductive city New York is. With all its elements, with all its shadows, with all its light, uh, with its intensity, you know, it's got so many things to offer. The food. Um, I don't... The people, once they relax, you know, like in restaurants, that's where you find them sensual. Whereas in the work, they have to behave in another way. Unless mm-hmm. you want something, unless you want something from the boss, and then you would use your sensual side. So um, that's how. So I thought seducing, and then I thought uh, seducing America. That was the title, seducing America. And then someone said, one meal at a time. I said, oh, I like that. And then I thought, but these stories, they're celebrities. They're not, they're not just America. They're, they're a certain clique of America. And that was celebrity. So that's, when, so that's how that came about, seducing celebrities one meal at a time. And in many ways, I realized that that's what I do when I cook, you know. I want people not to leave the table because uh, I think it's, when people trust the the watering hole that they sit around, great conversations come out of it, great jokes. I mean, last night I had a dinner, and we laughed our heads off. But I do tell my guests when they've overstayed. When did you start giving dinner parties, like as soon as you moved to L.A. or when you're in your early days in New York? When did it start to become something you really enjoyed to do? Well, um, I was 26, and I was working at the UN uh, that year. Um, I met people in the consulate, and they had me at their homes for dinner, the Italians specifically. Um, And the way they served, the way they prepared food, the enjoyment of conversation to be on time, how long you sit around to have hors d'oeuvres, and then how much time after that do you prepare? Do you have the dinner served? Now, they could afford to be with their guests because they had servants. So those of us who don't have servants, and um, it's it's difficult because you've got to time it, but at the same time talk to your friends while they're in the kitchen you know, babbling on as you're trying to concentrate on three different courses. So, you know, you learn how to operate it, and um, each each group of people, each time you do it, it's different. Last night, you know, I had five adults, and I had two children, and and the boy was uh, playing games on his little computer, and the little girl was looking, sitting in in her uh, bed, like a doll. I mean, the quietness of these children. I went, wow, isn't this beautiful? So we were able to have an adult night, you know, so that's what we did. When you uh, pick the chapters for 
some of the imaginary guests, the people have never you've never actually made meals for, but you were saying if you know Charlton Heston were at my at my house, this is what I would make for him. How did you choose which meals you would make for those celebrities? Well, the easy one was um, Jacqueline Kennedy because she married Onassis um, right after I met her. I think it was three weeks later she got married. So I think I went, well, Greek. I had to do a Greek, so who would I serve that to? I thought to her. So it would be the Greek leaven soup, which people love. We do the moussaka. It's a lot of work, but it's worth it. And then do the kurambiedas, which were the celebratory cookies that I liked. It's the Greek shortbread. But I put a clove in the center of it, of each cookie, just to give it that aroma, that spicy aroma. But, yeah, um, and there's something rewarding about seeing people satisfied. Because, let's face it, it is seductive. You create an atmosphere. You, you know, you bring in, what do you bring? You bring in the flowers. You bring in... You, you bring a, an ambiance of the people and how they dress and they ha, how they fit and make the room look. You know, uh, what's your lighting when you have candles? You know, you create all that. You have sound. You So there are all the elements that you create so that when they walk in, firstly, they're going to smell the food and that makes it very appetizing. And then you have the hors d'oeuvres set out and uh, and they're on a big table and and the table looks beautiful because that's the center, that's the place where we will eventually all of us sit around, you know. So each person comes and you try to serve them their drinks and sometimes some friends will say, would you like me to help you? And I say, yeah, get them a drink uh, because I'm in the middle of doing, you know, a certain sauce. But uh, with, I did the Greek with her. Um, mm-hmm. uh, with... Um, um, it varied, I suppose. You know, it would come, you know, um, what would I do with Telly Savalas? Now, he's Greek. And I thought of, um, because he was, a, he, was a, uh, he was a man and he loved flavor, he loved his food. Um, I always was impressed with the pig on the, on, on the spit. I always thought that was, reminded me of the days that I loved during the time of the Crusades, you know. I, <laughs> that always looked healing in the movie, you know, with it. So anyway, that's what I did. And uh, so each each uh, course, you know, it varied. It also how I felt about them because uh, I had to think of the story with him and, and, and my experience with him was, you know, in theater as well. So, um, so Telly, you know, I did... I brought things that I thought would be unusual for him, too. I don't think he was always easily pleased. Um, uh, Elizabeth Taylor, you know, I always thought exotic. Joanna Cassidy, you know, worked uh, with me in Australia. She, uh, I used uh, to oysters, so right away it's sensual. You start with the sensualness. Um, so, you know... I like to break friend, you know, bread with friends. It always it's ceremony. I love ceremony. Uh, well, we did get to see on Twitter last week um, pictures with um, your days ca- days castmates, Christian Alfonso, Lauren Coslow, Leanne Hunley, James uh, Reynolds. How was that? How did that dinner party turn out for you? It looked like it, it was a lot of fun. Um, 
Well, I was speaking to Stephanie Sloan at Sub Upper Digest night. Said if I do a dinner party again, because we used to do it, I used to do stories with her on dinner parties or traveling in some, you know, place in the exotic world somewhere. And, but this time around, I said to her, if I do a dinner, do want to cover it? Because in many ways, it's a way of presenting the show in a different light. The actors being together, it's just, you know, it's just uh, people I like, people uh, who I spend, you know, just acting with, but I want to break bread with. And Christian Alfonso I have had before, but I'm not with Lauren Coslow uh, or with um, James Reynolds, you know. Did you have so, an idea of what they would like, or did you have to sort of guess, or...? No, I made a blunder with um, James's wife, Lisa. She was a vegetarian. I did moussaka, which had meat. Oh. Uh, uh, our friend, uh, our, my makeup artist who does the scar, who's married to Lauren, um, Nikki, he doesn't like vegetables. So well, that's he started. <laughs> oh, it took me three and a half hours to put that moussaka from beginning to end together. And I watched him just take the eggplant. I've told this story in front of him. I said, I watched you take the eggplant. It took me three and a half hours to be part of that whole thing. And you take it away. And I said, what are you doing? And the eggplant is so, because it's thin. You know, it's not like it's heavy and you've got to cut. You just cut it with a fork into the meat and with the mushrooms. And he says, I don't like vegetables. Mm -hmm. So he just, the cause, it was no longer moussaka. Right. Well, that's what it goes. Yeah. Um, If if anyone, if you could choose any anyone who would uh, seduce you with a meal, uh, throw a dinner party for you, who would you choose? I don't know. I've never thought of that. (laughs) I've never thought of being seduced. Um, (laughs) You're always the seducer. You're not used to anyone seducing you. True. Doesn't that say something about me? Mm, oh, uh-huh. there I you go. To be... um, yeah, that's not a bad idea. Yeah, well, you can think about it. Uh, let me know later. <laughs> so that was a wonderful chat with Teo Penglis. Uh, great news that just came out. Days of Our Lives has been for another year. So stay tuned to see what Andre Demira will be up to next. Both of Teo's books are available on the Amazon and Barnes & Noble websites, so definitely take a look for that. Please like my Facebook page at Outtakes on Blog Talk Radio and follow me on Twitter at Laurie's Outtakes. Until next time. <laughs>